Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. By God's grace, we made it to 2021. And I think some of you honestly thought that this year would never come. Goodbye 2020, hello 2021. As you see up there, we still have the same God even though we're in a new year. God has certainly begun to us over the year, even in the midst of this tumultuous year, strictly from a church standpoint, since I don't know what is going on in everybody's life personally, I'll speak to the church side of things. We've seen people saved. We were able to take on more missionaries. We donated a good amount of money to help people in the community to help them through hard times this year. God has provided us with a building that we can more or less call our home. No more setting up and tearing down. I mean, that's like the biggest praise ever, right? For those of you that have been with us since the beginning. God has lined up families to come here to church, and He's helped us to further the gospel here in Chapel Hill. And even though it's been a tough year, it's been a good year. But I believe that we can all agree that we are excited to put 2020 behind us. I saw someone post recently this week how we can now literally say hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. But if we're going to be successful in the future, we have to learn to put the past behind us. On January the 2nd, 1994, 27 years ago from yesterday, a man by the name of Hal Donaldson founded Convoy of Hope. How many of you have heard of the charity organization called Convoy of Hope? Anybody in here? Convoy of Hope. Well, it's a pretty big organization. It's a global humanitarian relief organization that provides millions of dollars every single year in relief. For example, in 2015, when they had the Ebola epidemic that tore through West Africa, Convoy of Hope provided 4 million meals and partnered with a coalition of 12 or 1,700 churches to distribute those meals. But Hal Donaldson had to learn to let go of the past and trust in God's sovereignty for the future. Recently on Spotify, I came across a new podcast that started, and it came across my, you know, how it gives you suggestions to list for, uh, to listen to, and it's entitled 365 Christian Men Podcast. And obviously ladies would enjoy it, but especially the men, I would encourage you. I mean, it's been fantastic. And it's highlighting different men all throughout the, the lifetime that have lived for God. And so this past week, this following excerpt comes from there. On August, one August evening, 12-year-old Hal Donaldson and his two brothers were alone at home getting ready for bed when the doorbell rang. The boys opened the door. Two police officers stood on the doorstep and their eyes looked worried, their mouths serious. Fear zipped through Hal's chest and the officers stepped inside, sat the boys down and told them that a drunk driver had hit their parents' car. Dad was dead. Hal tried to make or to take it in, but everything was so cloudy. In intensive care, mom was fighting for her life. He and his brothers were all alone in the world, and it was overwhelming. But minutes later, neighbors and family and friends flooded into Donaldson's front yard. One of the officers asked if anyone would be willing to take the boys in for the night. Otherwise, they would end up in the police station. A young couple with four, of their kids, four kids of their own, Bill and Luvada Davis, took Hal and his brothers in for the night and in their small mobile home. And that one night, sleepover turned into many months of the boys living with a generous family. And while Hal's mom slowly recovered from broken, bone, broken bones and eternal injuries, in a small mobile home, there wasn't enough beds for all ten people, so they took turns sleeping on the floor. 
The Davises emptied their savings to provide for the three extra children, and Bill worked extra hours at the rock quarry to feed everyone. Luvada spent her days cooking, cleaning, and folding laundry. After Hal's mom learned to walk again, she found a job as a mail clerk and rented a place for the family, but there had been no health insurance, and so the family lived under the crushing weight of debt of the medical bills. Hal went to school with holes in his shoes and horrendous haircuts and came home to empty cupboards. The loss of his dad and the poverty that followed filled Hal with bitterness, but the Davises continued to speak truth in Hal's life. Don't allow the tragedy of your childhood to become a lifelong excuse, Bill said, because where you start in life does not have to dictate where you end. And over time, Bill's words worked their way into young Hal's heart and resentment faded. Determined to free himself from the ugly poverty monster, Hal studied hard and graduated from San Jose State University with a bachelor's degree in journalism. He got a job as a journalist and set his sights in earning money, raising a family and traveling the world. But everywhere he went, Hal encountered the poor. An orphan boy without shoes, a homeless mother clutching her lifeless child, a Vietnam War veteran who had lost his legs. And when Hal saw these people, he could not help but remember how the Davises had showered him with kindness. Their generosity had embedded itself in Hal's character. They could have offered tears of pity and, and made many excuses and walked away, but instead they acted. They inspired Hal, and by their example, he laid down his own excuses. He joined forces with his two brothers and several friends, and together they loaded up pickup trucks with groceries and distributed them to the poor working families. Their work grew into Convoy of Hope, which is now an organization that has fed and cared for more than 80 million people. We are ready for a new year so that we can start on a clean slate. In fact, there are some that are so eager to have a better year than last year that they've operated on some sort of level of superstition. As I shared with some of you, my wife had to work on New Year's Day at the hospital, and so we celebrated New Year's Eve with the ball dropping at 8 o'clock with our kids. And so obviously the ball didn't drop yet, and so we watched a recording. But I purposely went back and watched a recording of 2019's ball drop because I did not want to relive 2020. And so some of us want to do whatever we can to overcome this new year, but not everybody has the same thoughts regarding the new year. While we want everything to go back to normal, and we pray that it would, much like the years prior to 2020, some of us realize that this mindset just isn't realistic. And so depending on your personality, you may be approaching this year uh, differently than some others. There was an article that was written at the end of November, and he labeled, this person labeled six different types of people going into 2021. There was the COVID-19 Cinderella's. And that's the people that hope that the COVID-19 pandemic and restrictions will vanish when the clock strikes midnight, ushering in 2021. And by the mere fact that you're still sitting here with masks on, show that that is not true. There's the travel addict club members. 2021 will allow them to travel and they hope that they can explore the world again because the restrictions are lifted. This is my wife. You have the happy home aloneers. Those that still want the quarantine to continue so they can continue to experience life and work from the comforts of home. Uh, TJ's not here today, um, so I can pick on him because he's not here. And so my brother-in-law, by the way, so everybody has that clear, uh, we got him some work outfits for Christmas, and they were a pair of sweatpants uh, because he is not going back to the office anytime soon at his job. You've got those that are the back-to-school parents, which aren't any parents in here. 
but they just want their kids to go back to school. Let's, <laughs> Michael is shaking his head. They want their kids to be back in school. You got the social butterflies that are ready to experience in 2021 everything that was canceled in 2020. And then you've got the gym people, which is every year, right? The gyms are packed for the first three weeks of January, and then they go back to being normal. Those that want to get their body in shape for the next year. But no matter what category you fall into, we can all agree that we hope that 2021 is better than 2020. My question here this morning is, what if it isn't? What if more people die from COVID-19? What if the vaccine isn't as effective, and we pray that it is, and they've done research on it, but it isn't quite as effective at slowing the spread of COVID-19 that we had hoped, that we had wished? What if the economy collapses? What if we end up losing our job? What if the lockdowns become even stronger and stricter with the new leadership? Will God still be good? And of course we can say, yes, God will be good. Will you believe it? Will you believe that God is still good? And I'm sure that many of you have had some sort of New Year's resolution this year. Or maybe you said, you know what, forget about it. I'm not even going to try anymore. That's okay too. But those resolutions most likely are based upon a hopeful anticipation that 2021 is better than 2020. But again, what will we do if 2021 ends up not being better or everything that we hoped it to be? Say, man, Pastor Brandon, I thought this was going to be like a message of hope this morning. It is going to be. Take your Bibles and flip with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And for those kids that are in here, we're going to talk about a Bible story that you've heard since Children's Church. Well, you probably have heard of it recently. I'm sure that my wife, actually I know for a fact, she said recent, last night that she has shared this story with the kids in the past. As we begin a new year at a launching point, we're going to start at the best launching point, and that is God's, God's Word. And so next week, we're going to be launching our vision for 2021. We're going to be starting a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Colossians. But as I began praying about what the Lord would have for us to study here, kind of in this in-between time of starting the new year and the vision and everything, my attention was immediately drawn to this particular passage. And so our text this morning recounts the story that many of us have heard since, really, honestly, like I said, Children's Church. The book of Daniel is really Daniel's account of the events that occurred in his lifetime. It's more of a historical book. But obviously, it's, it's biblical truth, and it shows us how God is sovereign in all different areas of life. The book begins in 605 B.C., so roughly a little over 600 years before the birth of Christ. And it happened when the Babylonians captured Jerusalem and therefore exiled Daniel along with his three friends, whom we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as many others. They were captured and taken captive in their teens. Some estimate that they were pretty young, actually, when this happened, and they were taken away from their family. It was not a fun time. They were told where they had to be. They were told what to do and what they could not do. There was no sign of any hope or release for these men. There was no sign of that. Daniel writes this book not only to give the historical account, but to show God's goodness even in the midst of all of this. So we see the faithfulness of Daniel from the very beginning. In Daniel chapter 1, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, captured Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar then commanded that the, uh, his leadership to go gather the people of Jerusalem that had no blemish, that were healthy, that were smart, that were skilled, and to bring them before him and Daniel and his three friends being part of that group. And so they were brought before the king. Their original Jewish names were Daniel, 
uh, and then his three friends, which I'm, hold on, I'm drawing a blank real quick. Um, his three friends are, man, I am totally drawing a blank. Can anybody help me out? No, 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 that's not their original names. Oh, there you go. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's terrible that I just totally draw a blank. But Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel are the Jewish names. They were the God-given names. But we understand their names were changed, Daniel being changed to Belteshazzar, but we still refer to him as Daniel, and then the other three men being the names that we commonly refer to them as, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their pagan names that were changed and given to them. So as a result, we understand that these men were brought before, but Daniel and these men purposed in their hearts that they would not defile themselves with the king's meat. And so therefore the test was put to them. The king was obviously pleased with the test that was given to them. These men grew in strength and stature. Daniel ended up interpreting two dreams for the king, and the king was pleased by that. So he ended up rewarding Daniel by putting him in a high level, a high position of authority within the kingdom. And Daniel, in return, asked that his three friends would be in a position of authority as well, and they were granted that. And so as we enter Daniel 3, uh, we have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a trusted position of the king. These men were being used by God to fulfill God's sovereign plan, but that did not mean that Nebuchadnezzar had become a follower of Christ. As we know how the story goes, Daniel 3, we see that the king had constructed a giant statue made of gold. With the Babylonian religious culture, statues were frequently worshipped, and Nebuchadnezzar had hoped that the people would worship this giant 90 feet by, uh, tall by 9 feet wide statue. Nebuchadnezzar had gathered all the leaders together and he sent out a decree to the nation. So he commanded that a herald would proclaim this message. To you it is commanded, O people and nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, uh, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, that you would fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So out of the respect of both fear and respect to the king, the next time the music was played, every single person bowed down in the kingdom, except for three men. And so we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. I won't have you stand. It's a little bit of a longer passage. But if you could look with me in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, we're going to read down to verse 18 to start. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, and they spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hath made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoso falleth not down and worship it, that he should be cast into the midst of the fiery uh, furnace." There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province, Babylon, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of these instruments, that you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Who is it that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. 
If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Through our text here this morning, we read of a group of men that purposed in their hearts to honor the Lord, no matter the cost. I'm sure there were multiple times within their captivity where they anticipated the hope of better days. But in the midst of dark days, their trust and their commitment to God did not change. We pray that 2021 will be a better year, but it may not be. In fact, it may be worse than 2020. And our goal this morning is to observe three ways in which we as Christians can ensure a God-honoring and joyful year, even if 2021 is no better. So the title of the message this morning is How to Experience Joy Even If 2020 Is No or 2021 Is No Better. As we know, unmet expectations can be devastating when we don't have the right focus. This goes beyond the anticipation of a better year. I'm sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expected to live a long life. I'm sure that these men expected to do great things in their political career, but all of these expectations were shattered when they were forced to stick by their commitment to serve God and only God. And so through this story, we're going to look at three ways that we can take from this story, apply them to our life so that we can ensure that we have a joyful year. So the first thing that we see here is there was a commitment to serve God no matter the cost. A commitment to serve God no matter the cost. This wasn't the first time these men committed to serving God. As I said earlier, it wasn't like this. they were living their life how they wanted to live it and decided that when their backs were up against the wall that it would be at that time they would commit to serving God. It wasn't like that. They committed from the very beginning, even as young teenagers, to follow God and to serve God no matter the cost. Going back to Daniel chapter 1, we see in verse 8 that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. You may say, well, that was Daniel, not these three men. If you were to continue to read through the chapter, if you were to jump down to verses 11 through 14, you would see that not only Daniel committed to honor God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did as well. These men purposed in their heart from the very beginning, before they ever faced any of this, that no matter the cost, they would serve and they would honor God no matter what life would bring them. They made a commitment that, that at that particular time, it was a much smaller test than the test that they were currently facing. They were literally told, if you do not bow down, and they can make all the excuses in the world to, do, to, to bow down. They can say, listen, I'll bow down just out of an action. I don't really mean to worship the, the, fo- the false image in my own heart. I'm just going to bow down in an action. They could have even used scripture references and say, God wants me to obey my authority. They could have done that. They could have justified all these things in their mind, but they didn't. They simply stood up. It wasn't like they were saying or they were facing the punishment of being slapped on the back or being faced a fine. No, no. They were facing the punishment. Man, I cannot talk this morning. Facing the punishment that if they were not to bow down, they would literally be thrown alive in the furnace and burned alive. That's what they were facing. It was not an easy task. But on top of that, they were facing severe peer pressure. Look down at verse 7. It says, All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down, and they worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The leaders then reported to the king in verse 12 that there are certain Jews whom have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon who did not bow down. Not only were they facing the punishment of 
enduring this extremely torturous punishment of, of being burned alive, they were facing peer pressure. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes peer pressure is harder to resist than even death itself. They were the only one in an entire kingdom that did not bow down. Peer pressure is hard. Especially when we're in the midst of the workplace and we know that we're supposed to take a stand for God or we're in the midst of a family gathering, which that can be really hard, and we know we're supposed to take a stand for God and nobody else is doing that, how will we endure that peer pressure? But here's, here's several things that we can observe here. John Maxwell states that if you could choose only one word to describe what it's like to be committed, I think it would be the one word alone. If you became a person who is deeply committed to a cause, the world won't understand you. You will be alone, and it's human to stand with a crowd. It's divine to stand alone. There these three men stood alone. But because they purpose in their heart to serve God no matter the cost, they could stand with, with courage. You know, there are several things that we can observe in this particular passage before we move on. They made a commitment to serve God. And because they made a commitment to serve God, what happened? The world took notice. The world took notice at their commitment. And when the world takes notice of our commitment, first off, the world will always question our commitment. They will always question our commitment. As we continue through this biblical account, the king becomes enraged at what he just heard. So in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar questions the men. He says, Is it true, O Neb or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? There are two things that are happening here. First off, these three men did not simply refuse to obey the king's commands. They did not protest by screaming and shouting. They did not try to incite a mob. They did not get on Facebook and talk about how bad their leader was. They did not make a big scene. They simply just did not bow down. This is where we have to be careful in a social media world. The leadership may tell us to do something that goes against what God asks us to do. How are we going to respond in that situation? Are we going to blast them on social media? What a terrible leader that we have. Are we going to share all this propaganda stuff that we find? Oh, man, that's a terrible leader, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Are we just going to simply obey God and not disrespect our leaders? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not try to incite a mob here. They just simply did not bow down. The second thing that we notice here is this. We see the outrage of the king, and it was all based upon a selfish motivation. Look at what he says. Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Whenever people angrily question your commitment to serve God, it is never for spiritual reasons. It is always for selfish reasons, and this does not just happen within the world. This happens within churches today. People become outraged at you not obeying them, but you obeying God instead. And so when you commit to serving God, you will be questioned by the world, and sometimes Christians who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. And the lesson for us is stick by your commitment no matter the cost. Stick by your commitment no matter the cost. When the world takes notice of our commitment to serve God, not only will they question your commitment, number two, the world will test your commitment. They will test it. I promise you that. That's what's happening here in this passage. He questions the man in verse 15. Who is it that that God whom you serve shall deliver you out of my hands? Once again, notice the arrogance of the king. He says, who is that God that should deliver you out of my hands? Clearly, he is not powerful enough to be able to take me down. Nebuchadnezzar honestly believed that he was more powerful than God. 
Our nation has political leaders that honestly believe they are more powerful than God. Our workplaces have leaders that honestly believe they are more powerful than God. And anyone that questions your commitment to serve God is in a subtle way operating at the belief that they are more worthy and more powerful than God. So the question then is, how will you respond when the world presses you on your commitment to God? How will you respond? How will you respond when certain elements of what 2021 brings us may press you on your commitment to serve God? Commit to serving God no matter the cost, which leads us to our second key here this morning, the faith to trust in God no matter the outcome. The faith to trust God no matter the outcome. These three men are now faced with an even tougher decision. Not only did they stand up to peer pressure by not bowing down, they were being questioned by their decision by the most powerful man in the world or in the kingdom at that particular time. The men responded in beginning in verse 16 by this phrase, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. It's a bit cumbersome in the King James Version, but basically what he's saying there is, we do not have to answer you when you question us about our decision with God. We don't have to answer you. We are not obligated to do that. They meant no disrespect to the king. They basically understood that their commitment to God did not need to be defended in front of the king. Remember that as you trust in God this year, when you make a commitment to trust God, you do not have to explain your decision and your motives to other people. You don't have to defend it. You ultimately answer to God and God alone. But nonetheless, these men answered the king and they said, "If, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Once again, this statement here shows a level of trust that the men had in the power of God. They knew that God was willing and capable to deliver these men out of the fiery furnace. They recognized the fact that there was nothing that could prevent God's protection upon them. But that's not where I want to focus on here this morning. Notice the next phrase. The men said in verse 18, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Where the previous phrase showed that these men trusted in the goodness and in the power of God, this second phrase showed that these men trusted in the sovereignty of God. They recognized that God could save them from the fire. He was powerful enough to do so, but that may not be his plan. And what he basically boils it down to here is that I know that God is powerful enough to save me from the fire, but that may not be his plan. But guess what, King? I'm still going to trust in God. I'm still going to trust in God. We know that God is powerful enough to answer our specific prayer requests. We know that. I mean, God is the most powerful being that ever lived, that ever will live. And he created this entire world. He can do whatever he wants to do in accordance to his will. So this year, as you're praying for personal prayer requests, you're praying for God to really reset 2021 to be a better year. We know that God is powerful enough to do that, but it may not be his will. See, you know what? Hold your fingers here. We're going to flip back here. Your commitment to God is not based upon what you believe God's will to be. Your commitment to God is based upon what His will actually is. Flip back to Romans chapter 8. You can hold your finger here, Romans chapter 8. This is a discussion that we held earlier this year. I think it was actually at the pit when we talked about this. Romans chapter 8. 
Paul says in Romans verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 28, it's one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Even though it's one of the most famous verses of Scripture, so often is it taken out of context because people only read that first half. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Many people focus on the fact that God works things all together for His good to those that love God, but they don't focus on the part where it says according to His purpose. This verse, first off, only applies to Christians. He makes that clear in the previous verses. It doesn't apply to those that are unsaved. It only applies to Christians. When Paul says to them who are the called, it's in reference to the followers of Christ. Paul uses the term God's elect to describe the genuine followers of Christ. So for someone to flippantly use this verse to apply to any situation is a gross misinterpretation of the original context. But let's dig into this. The second thing that we must point out is that when it comes to gaining a proper understanding of this verse is the fact that all things do work together for our good, not in order so that we live on easy street for the rest of our life, because all things work together for our good according to His purpose. In His providence, God orchestrates every event in our life, even the suffering, the temptation, and the sin to accomplish both our temporal and eternal benefits. So as a genuine follower of Christ, what you are experiencing right now, whether it be good or bad, is ultimately ultimately working out for the good, which is according to His divine purpose. I do want to clarify this. God is not the author of evil. He is not the author of sin. God did not specifically create COVID-19 and therefore purposely inflict that on people in order to kill them. All those things are evidences of, they're remnants of a corrupt and fallen world. So for example, um, sin is the absence of God's holiness, is the absence of perfection. Like if you were to turn off all the lights in here, it would be dark. Darkness is the absence of light. But all things, according to God's sovereign plan, occur here on earth according to God's sovereign plan. In other words, He allows things to happen that go through His sovereign hands in order to correspond with His will. He allowed COVID-19 to come into the world. He allowed earthquakes and the tornadoes and the floods and all those things to occur, unprecedented amounts in 2020, in order to work according to His plan. But He did not directly inflict them upon people. Those are results of a corrupt and sin-fallen world. All of that to show us that even sin itself is all part of God's overall plan. Going back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, according to His purpose is what all things work together towards. But what is God's purpose? If you were to drop down to verse 29, it says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The purpose of God that He has set from the very, very beginning was for us to be more like Christ. And so He uses the events. He uses choices from other people to drive us, to mold us, and to shape us to be more like Christ. So how can we put all of this together? As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in the power of God, they did not set aside the sovereignty of God. They understood that God had decided to allow them to go into the fire that because it was ultimately part of God's sovereign plan. So in 2021, we gain comfort in the fact that no matter what comes our way, we can trust in the sovereign plan of God because it's all ultimately working out according to His plan. Which brings us to our third point here this morning. No matter what 2020 may bring, number three, 
the pursuit to glorify God must be our motivation no matter the platform. The pursuit to glorify God no matter the platform. We pick up the rest of the story in verse 19. I'm going back to Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to flip back there, look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind these three men and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men, took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. The Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, the king was anointed and rose up in haste and spake and said out of the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. I want to pause here and I want to digest what we just read. We understand that the king was upset, right? He was upset out of all the things that were happening here. He was upset with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so he ordered that the fire would be heated up seven times more. The fire was so hot that the men that took these three men bound died as they were putting them into the fire. That's how intense this fire was. Well, we understand how the story goes, right? The three men are in there in the fire together. The king is watching them, and then all of a sudden he sees a fourth figure and refers to that fourth figure as being one that is supernatural. But the Bible says something interesting in verse 25. He said that these men were what? They were loose, and they were walking around in the fire. I want you to think about that for a moment. When did the men come out of the fire? They were loose, they could have walked out, but they didn't. The men didn't come out of the fire until Nebuchadnezzar went to the furnace and called them out. Now the Bible doesn't clearly say, but I have some different theories about that. First off, there's this. These men were remained in the fire because they weren't being burned to begin with. They felt no discomfort in that fire, so there was no need for them to leave the fire. They were completely in the midst of this chaos and this turmoil, but they weren't being burned. There was no need for them to leave. Another thought is it wasn't time for them to leave yet. They were in there, uh, and, and God was with them, and it clearly wasn't time for them to leave yet. God wanted them to stay in the fire for a little bit longer. But here's another thought. They were in that fire with perhaps a pre-incarnate, basically a supernatural being that we knew was from God. They were in the fire in the presence of God. They didn't want to get out of that fire. They were in the midst of the presence of God in that fire. They didn't want to leave because they knew that if they were out here, they were not going to be in the midst of the presence of God. And so they wanted to stay in that fire a little bit longer. And can I tell you, 2021 may bring a fire in your life, but can I tell you this, that if you're following God and you're faithful to God, He doesn't guarantee an easy life. He guarantees a good life. But I can tell you this, that if you're in the midst of that fire and you're following God, that is the best place that you can be. And sometimes we don't want to get out of it. 
Because there's been times in your life where a trial comes into your life and you felt more close to God in that particular time period than you did in any other particular time. And you don't want to leave that fellowship that you have with God. 2021 may be a horrible year, but can I tell you this? That these men chose to stick by their commitment and God glorified himself in the platform of that burning fiery furnace. Let's continue on in verse 27. The princes, the governors, and the captains of the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was there a hair singed or anything on their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we understand at this particular time, Nebuchadnezzar, he did not become a follower of Christ. But can I tell you this? His hatred towards a God, his lack of belief in God has now been changed to at least he's accepting the fact that there is a true God. God glorified himself through the platform of a furnace. And it was in that particular moment in which Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that there truly is a God out there. Your fire is the platform in which God has using to glorify himself so that when others who have a doubt in God or have a disbelief in God see you, they see the goodness of God. And it may be through your horrible circumstances that they gain a vision of who God truly is. So as we close out this particular message here this morning, I want to end with a story. My prayer is that we would all enter 2021 as a year in which God is glorified, a year in which we trust in the sovereignty of God no matter what He brings. Bart Millard is a lead singer of a Christian group whom you've all heard of before, Mercy Me. A few years ago, he wrote a song entitled Even If. How many of you have heard of that song before? You've heard Even If, you've heard it on the radio or whatever. The song Even If is incredible special to me, he writes on his band's Facebook page. The single then became one of the most added songs of the group's 23-year career. But like most songs, Even If was a result of the faith battle that Miller experienced regarding the health of his son. He goes on to write, My son Sam is 15 years old, and he's been a diabetic since he was two. When you're a parent of a child with any kind of chronic illness, these things don't go away. You have a lot of good days, but some days you feel like you're losing bad. I was in the midst of one of those bad days when Even If was written. Miller went on to write, God is worthy long before any of these circumstances even showed up. In fact, what Christ has already done on the cross is probably the only thing we need to get through those circumstances. It is a foundation that was built long before these difficulties came. And this song is a declaration to God that even if he went silent and never said another word, he is still worthy to be praised. And that is our greatest hope in the midst of a trial. He testified. While that unwavering faith in the sovereignty of God, Millard went on to pen the words, they say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. Because God, or but God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but if you don't, my hope is in you alone. No matter what 2021 brings, this can be our best year ever. If we commit to serving the Lord, no matter the cost, if we have faith to trust in God, no matter the outcome, and we pursue to glorify God, no matter the platform, in all things, may God be glorified.